See, you know we're on point today because I didn't ask you to greet your neighbor a second time. <laughs> it's like the, the backup plan when I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't have any of my stuff on stage with me. Greet your neighbor. Tell them something nice about them this week for the second time. <laughs> But good morning. Welcome to City Collective. We're so glad that you're here with us. If, if this is your first time here, we're so glad that you decided to spend the morning with us. Uh, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith today, uh, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure what you think about this whole faith, religion, Jesus thing, uh, I hope that you felt welcome. I hope this is a space that's been warm and welcoming so far and that we have an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better and that uh, we can go on this journey of discovering who Jesus is a little bit more together. I, I so believe that in this book, it reveals the person of Jesus, not for the sake of just telling us about this great man that existed so many years ago, but about the possibilities it means in our story today. And so, uh, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, we are going through a series called Church Close. Uh, as we walk through Galatians. And it, we're having a lot of fun with it because uh, Paul, as he's talking to the Galatian church, is trying to do one thing, and he's trying to keep it simple. He's, he's a little bit upset with the idea of them overcomplicating a very simple gospel that he's presented to them. And in a very Marie Kondo way, he's telling them that they need to have a little more of a minimalistic approach to their religious faith or to their idea of a relationship with Jesus. And so uh, we are navigating through it. We're on a little bit of a sprint through the series. We could probably spend a whole year if we wanted through the book of Galatians, but I'm not blaming it on you. I blame it on me. I have a short attention span, uh, and so I would get bored very quickly. And so we're in a little bit of a sprint. We've gone through the first uh, three to four chapters thus far, and we're in chapter five this week. And so uh, we're going to toss some verses on the screen. If not, you can open in your Bibles as well. But we're in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And I'm reading out of uh, the NLT this morning. And it says this. It says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again, if you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. I love that so much. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. And then we're going to jump to verse 11. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that these troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Paul's a little upset. For if you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy, but use your satis but don't use your, satis your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
So Jesus, as we navigate through this, uh, this book and this morning, I just pray that we are open and ready to receive this idea of simple grace, simple forgiveness, and simple freedom. Uh, whatever we're carrying, I just pray that we just give it to you. So grateful that we get these opportunities together. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so my question to start things off for you this morning is, uh, do you have something in your life that you really don't enjoy but you believe is important? Maybe it's something you do at work, but maybe it's something a little bit more arbitrary. For some people, it might be like dancing at a wedding. They feel obligated to, but they don't really want to. Uh, maybe it's eating broccoli. I know some of you feel very strongly about broccoli, and then some of you don't feel so strongly about broccoli. Um, for maybe some of you, it's cleaning a washroom. You know it's important, but you really don't enjoy it. Or better yet, um, you have things which you know are important, but you are really good at delaying in doing them. Or for, for a better word, uh, do you procrastinate? Taxes, yes, we all procrastinate our taxes, let's be honest. Do you procrastinate? I know I do. Uh, when I was a student, this was a regular part of my rhythm. Five days out from the uh, expected date of the assignment, I would start thinking about it. The next day would involve resting from thinking about it. <laughs> and the day that followed, maybe writing down the thought that I thought about. Then I have to rest the day after that. I put a lot of hard work into that thought and writing that down. And then somehow I have this like supernatural urgency that wells up on the inside of me as I realize I have not started my 10-page paper the night before it's due. And then all those thoughts and all, all those things that were rustling around my brain suddenly come to life and I spend all night to get it done. I procrastinate. And there's, there's things that I know are important, but I, I don't particularly enjoy, like, going to the dentist. I, for some of you, you might love going to the dentist. I had this conversation with someone recently, and they're like, I love going to the dentist because I never have cavities. And my story is exactly the opposite. Um, and I know I eat a lot of sugar. It is my vice. It is my thing that I struggle in life. You have your issues too, okay? So we all have these different things that we deem as important important, but maybe we're not so crazy about. One of them, for me, dentist. Yeah, I'll go to it. I'll deal with it. I'll take my, it feels like automatic, one cavity per year. It's the worst thing. Anyways, and the other thing that I know I should be doing more of, but I don't do enough of, is running. I hate running for the sake of running. Running for the sake of running is the worst. But I have been told that as I approach the age of 30, I turned 30 this year, they're like, your body is going to start deteriorating. <laughs> and now what are you going to do? You need to start actually running for just the sake of running. And I'm like, I don't really feel too strongly about that, but I guess I could try. And so over the course of, course of my lifetime, which is not that long, I, I admit that, but... Uh, over the last little while, I've, I've experienced moments with people where they have peer pressured me into these moments of running. Uh, everyone seems to think it's cool to run a marathon. I don't think it's cool, but sometimes I get peer pressured. And so uh, in Calgary, they, they were doing like a short little one, like a 5K color run. And I was like, 
I can probably do that, right? I can pull that off. And so like 5K, I've got like an idea in my brain, like logistically of how much that is, but I don't really understand how much that is for me to look like I'm capable of doing it while doing it. Like, you know what I mean? That you're, you're doing it and you look like you're supposed to be doing it, but you realize on the inside that you shouldn't be doing it. One of those moments. And so um, this was a 5K run that was happening at COP, Canada Olympic Park in Calgary. And this is where they did the Olympic ski jumping at the 88 Olympics. So it was literally just a hill. This was not some beautiful run along the seawall with the ocean beside you and everyone in Lululemon pants. This is not that. This is a 5K run with a bunch of children on the sides of the, of the path with looks in their eyes of so much excitement because they're holding these little color bombs and they're just ready to chuck them at you for the entire race. Okay, so I was prepared. 5Ks. I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. And so we started off on this run. Literally, it's just like run up the hill and then run down the hill for approximately 5K. I don't know. They, this is what I had to do. And so started up the hill, feeling pretty good. And I've been told that I can be a little bit competitive in moments. I can have a little bit of a competitive flair. So be it. I, I feel that way in a lot of moments. I need to push the agenda. So I start running way harder than I should right off the bat. I'm like, I'm going to set the pace. Nobody else took the pace that I set, but I still set it. And I ran up ahead. And I started, I was feeling good. I was excited about it. Ran, got out ahead of the pack. Didn't go so well. About 2K in, I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is not what I expected. And there's like moments in your life where natural, like physical tendencies that you have sometimes fail you. For me in this moment, it was the ability to breathe through my nose while running because I was, I was obviously breathing heavily at this point. And I start breathing really heavily and kids start chucking color bombs. I'm like, I've got to close my mouth. Otherwise, I'm going to just eat color bombs the entire way up this hill and down this hill. So I'm running, and I see people passing me. My pride is being hurt. My ego is being hurt. And I'm running harder, but I'm definitely the heaviest breathing person that's going up and down this small 5K run. It's literally nothing. And then I get to the end, and it's done. And it's a, and it's a big deal that I got it done. Everybody's excited. I took the Instagram photo, and then it looked really good. Right? Because that's what it's all about. It's all about that Instagram photo at the end of it. Uh, but the funny thing is, is I knew that the race was coming. <laughs> this wasn't something I just showed up for on the day of. Uh, I, and I knew that I was ill-equipped to deal with it. I knew that it was going to be harder than expected. And worst of all, I knew the steps that needed to be taken in order for me to thrive in that environment. And instead of actually pursuing appropriate preparation, I procrastinated. Which is something we often do. So do you procrastinate? I definitely do. And here's what I've found about myself, that I normalize my procrastination to justify it. And normalized procrastination is often correlated with identity and viewed as right simply because it's familiar. And so you can replace the word procrastination with a wide variety of things. Normalized blank is often correlated with identity and viewed as right simply because it feels familiar. We mark our identity with areas of familiarity. And here in chapter 5, 
what we find is we, we find that Paul is arriving at this climactic theme of the book. And it kind of ties it all together, and he continues his talk of circumcision, a talk of the law, but he also is introducing this idea of freedom. But the understanding of freedom for the Galatians was different than the understanding of freedom for, for us. It's not that slavery doesn't exist in our day and age. Human trafficking is a very real thing in the lower mainland. It's a very real thing that we, sh- we are still struggling with as a society. But it's, it's more dark and devious. It's, it's, it's disturbing to our normal cultural consciousness. But in the Roman world, it wasn't just acceptable. It was the norm. Slavery was familiar. It was expected. And Paul is writing to this community that had normalized slavery and had correlated it with their relationship with God and viewed it as right simply because it was familiar. There was a phenomenon in the the Roman world where a slave, if he had earned enough money to buy the freedom, they would be able to take that money to their master and take their master down to the local temple. And we talked about what it kind of looks like when we discussed Roman cults a couple weeks ago. But the slave would be able to pay for their freedom. And with their money, they would go to the temple. They would be recorded, recorded in the transcripts so that if anybody had a question and if they doubted their freedom, they would just need to go to the temple, check the receipt, the receipt of some sort saying one slave was bought for such a price. So the idea of freedom or grace in Jesus is completely new. It's important for us to understand this. Their familiarity with the idea of how they function in relationship with one another, in society, and with God, always functioned with the idea that there was qualifications that they had to meet. So for them to move from the idea of I need to do right to get right to I need to look to Jesus to receive grace was a very difficult transition. And even after Paul comes and gives them this amazing message of hope and freedom and he says that you don't have to do anything. Jesus has already done all that needs to be done. You just got to accept the forgiveness that he has for you. They're like, yes, I'm so into that. And then a couple weeks go by and they're like, I don't know how this functions in my life. I'm going to go back to what I'm used to. Because we go back to what we're used to to make sense of what we're presently in. But that is not the invitation that we're given in Jesus. Freedom and relationship with Jesus isn't about what we're being freed from. There's no leftover receipts that we can go back to and reference and look at and be like, oh, okay, they got paid, uh, Jesus paid this much for them to be free. There's no receipt like that in the story of Jesus. It's not about what we're, we're being freed from, it's about what we're being freed for. All of Paul's concern over circumcision and not choosing it, it really isn't about being circumcised. He never actually says that you need to be uncircumcised in order to be free. In chapter 5, verse 6, it actually writes that, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. What matters is the evidence of love. But, 
but here's the thing. This is the, this is the reality of it. But to stop having one master and to stop being controlled by that are two very different things. When the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, which was the land of bondage, Exodus 20 calls it a house of bondage. One of the very first things that God did after getting them out of Egypt was begin the process of getting Egypt out of them. Because it's not hard for God to bring you into freedom, but the hard part is teaching us how to live in freedom. Because for many of us, true freedom does not feel familiar. And we would rather stay in something that enslaves us, that is predictable, rather than embrace something that is new and good and true and pure. So we will go back to those familiar things, those mindsets, those familiar toxic emotional states because it's normal to us and we'll choose normal over new. And just because it's normal doesn't mean that it's right. And here's the thing we see over and over again is that God wants you to be free, like really, really free, like free from the way that people think about you, free from the need to have more stuff, free from the need to be appreciated by others, because instead of seeking outward appropriate validation, we operate from a discovered identity in Christ. And Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's as if he's saying that freedom's already given to you. But you got to realize that it is freedom. You need to operate in that. Because when you do, your life will look much different. So what is the familiar space you return to even though you know it is really not that healthy? That relationship that you can't seem to shake and yet you keep on responding to texts even though you shouldn't. This constant craving for something new that you tie to your identity, like you have to constantly be shifting things and doing new things, but it has more to do with a fear of commitments than actually trying new things. A bad habit or addiction which you're holding on to, but you're justifying it as normal because society justifies it as normal. What are we carrying as familiar that is preventing us from living free in the freedom that he's given to us? I think one of the most common tendencies that we have in our pursuit of, or in our tendency to abandon freedom is our pursuit of acceptance. There was a, a commercial that came out a few years ago, I think it was like in 2014, and it was uh, a, a young girl, it was a, I don't know how to say this, a tampon company was promoting their, their <laughs> subscription service. Sounds like an odd commercial for Jason to watch. I had cable at the time, okay? <laughs> and this little girl, all of her friends were getting their period, and she was feeling really left out. And so what she decided to do was to take some sparkly red nail polish and apply it to a pad. And, she sh and then she sent like photos to her friends, showed it to her mom, and she's like, it happened! Her mom, of course, sees it and is like, no it didn't. <laughs> it's sparkling. <laughs> <laughs> 
But her mom's awesome, and she's like, I'm not going to call her out on this. I'm just going to roll with it. And so what she does is she throws what they call in the commercial a first moon party. (laughs) And so bakes a cake. You can figure out what the cake was shaped as. She, she invited family. She invited friends. She had all the little girl's friends come over. They did like pin the tail on, I don't know. It was weird. It was weird. And oh, everybody's like super uncomfortable in this whole environment until finally she's like, stop, it didn't happen. And her mom was like, I know. But she was so much in pursuit of acceptance that she almost went through that whole awful party simply because she's like, I want to be like everybody else. And it might seem utterly ridiculous, but we do the exact same thing all the time. We're, uh, we know that we shouldn't go back to that text message stream that we know is really unhealthy. We shouldn't go back to that place that we just constantly find ourselves spiraling in. That we, we shouldn't be having these, these moments where we're committing time in areas that are not b- building us up or creating life in our story, but yet we go back to them because they're familiar or because we seek acceptance. And we'll linger in them much longer than we know we should simply because acceptance becomes our priority over freedom. See, see, we strive for freedom. We really like the idea of freedom, but we don't really know how to function in freedom. We know how to function in system. We do really well when we know exactly what needs to happen on each step of the way. But when there is comes to the point where we are operating with this idea of freedom, we automatically go back to being slaves to the things that we're familiar with prior. And if we're talking about church clothes and staying in that metaphor, we're, we're turning our, our chains and the things that are, have been holding us down, we're turning them into pieces of jewelry that we use to make ourselves relevant and authentic with people around us. And we've clung to our chains as if they're about authenticity for the purposes of acceptance and have neglected the true invitation of the gospel, which is freedom. Now, this isn't saying that life is perfect. This isn't saying that when you get to know Jesus that you find freedom and everything comes together and it comes to this perfect place of fruition where everything is home. No. But isn't it different to live with the revelation that freedom is always possible for you when you just look to Jesus? It's, It's living from a different place. It's living for a different reason. It changes everything. And Paul is saying to the Galatians that now, now that Christ has set you free, stay free. This is not about doing something, but it's understanding where your actions are leading you. That being circumcised is not really the issue, but the issue is that if you adhere yourself to one part of the law, you're putting yourself under all of it. James 2.10 puts it this way. It says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one way, fails completely. Paul's, Paul's scrambling for them 
trying to let them know that you, you don't have to do any of it, but if you do one part of it, you put yourself under all of it. And he's speaking with such passion. And, and I love that he's communicating with this excitement and with this passion and with this urgency because it tells me that he cares so deeply for these people. But the, if we read through that text again, you'll notice that he's speaking as if I've seen what your life looks like when you are in freedom. I want you to go back to that. That the minute you came to know Jesus, your life began to shift. The way you treated others began to change. That the expression of your life became love from the foundation of faith instead of being works to accomplish the law. Because we've all got different people in our lives that we look at different things that they're doing and perhaps they start making a great decision and we see the shift. And we're so excited for them and we celebrate with them that yes, there's been positive decisions in your life that are moving you forward. And then we get so upset when we see that fall away because we have seen the potential of the moment. And this is Paul saying, I see the potential within you. That, that you are not a hopeless case. You are not past saving, but freedom. When it is in your story, you look very, very different. And Paul's frustration, uh, it finally boils over into verse 12. And verse 12 is funny, so bear with me. Uh, it makes, verse 12 makes a lot of people squirm, and he writes that, I wish that those who are preaching circumcision would go all the way and mutilate themselves. He's saying castration. But he's being metaphorical because they aren't trying this on themselves. They're, they're telling this to do, for others to do. But it would be a mistake to, t to take verse 12 as a joke because Paul is upset. He doesn't mean literally that they're going to do that, but he's serious in what he's implying. He does not wish them well because they're tampering with the simple message of the gospel of hope found only in Jesus. But he's also using irony here. Because in Jewish law, if castration was to take place, it actually prevented them from entering into the assembly of the Lord, according to the law. And so that is the picture and the metaphor he's actually presenting. That in their pursuit of finding acceptance from God and community through religious rules and rituals, they were actually cutting themselves off completely from finding acceptance. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 1 says this. It says, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And all of God's people said, ew. It's just the Bible. <laughs> and so there's the irony. Paul's like, okay, go ahead. In your pursuit of what religion is, you're going to lose him. Paul is saying that if you go this way, you are basically cutting yourself off from Christ. It's a play on words, but he's just, he is very serious about this. And of course, in, in where my brain goes, I have like some very serious questions. Like, how do they monitor that at the door when people are coming in? Is this like a self-regulating process where like you just take the honesty at the um, thoughts that run through my head? 
Like, is there a guy named, like, Jack that shows up, and, and Bob across the way is like, hey, Jack, are you going to be able to come to the assembly today? He's like, nah. It, it, it happened. He's like, what happened? A crushing accident. He's like, are you going to be joining us? No, I can't, can't be. It's just a weird situation. But Paul is saying that you want a symbol. You're telling everybody to get circumcised. You want a symbol. Let me give you a symbol of what you're actually leading people towards. You're actually leading them away from him. Because this isn't a binary comparison of right and wrong. This is an invitation of freedom to come to know him greater and to know him more. They were, they were arguing almost two different things. The argument for circumcision was a right or wrong thing, where Paul's saying, just freedom, come get to know Jesus and watch how that changes your life. Castration, it eliminates your ability to procreate. It causes impotence. And Paul goes on to talk about the freedom that you experience in Christ and how it leads us to serve others and love others and live for others beyond ourselves, the fruit of our lives. And yet the image he gives, it takes away that ability to have new life. This is a very intentional piece that he's writing in there. Because here's the thing, you lose your power to love others when all you're trying to do is to fulfill the law for yourself. And the idea of the law is sometimes difficult for us to like, wrap our heads around. But the, the law in that statement is essentially anything you are trying to do to receive the grace of God. Any qualification you are placing for him to accept you. And that's a fascinating way to look at it because then if I'm believing that I need to read my Bible one hour a day for his grace to come upon my life, then I am doing the wrong thing. If I believe that praying for 15 minutes every day somehow brings grace into my story, then I'm doing the wrong thing. And this is sometimes difficult to comprehend, the idea that good things in our life can turn into idols that separate us from the simple grace that he has for us. We live from grace, not for grace. We live from freedom, not for freedom. And this is where Paul's inviting them. Because freedom can have two different abuses. We can abuse freedom two different ways. On one side of the spectrum, with freedom, we can have the idea of complete license. I can do what I want, when I want, because I know that I have uh, a father who's going to completely forgive anything and everything I do. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a credit card that's fully paid. It's taken care of. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we've got the idea of legalism, where you're constantly trying to strive to receive that freedom. But when we, when we strive to receive the freedom that's been freely given to us, we actually exclude the people around us from experiencing it as well. Because we receive this free gift and we're like, yes, this is awesome. Now what I got to do to keep it? And that's a di completely different representation that we've shown to others then. 
So it's the two sides of the spectrum, legalism and license. And I so believe that freedom is found right in between. And it's under a simple word, love. Maya Angelou, social rights activist, she talks about the idea of freedom. And she said she never experienced freedom until she understood that love liberates. Love sets us free. Love invites us into a different story. And isn't it fascinating that, that Paul says that faith that is expressed through love is what we're being led towards. But we can't appropriately love until we receive that love that he has for us. And this isn't just a love in which we think nicely about one another or look really kindly at the person who's having a tough time on the street corner. This is a love that's completely different. This is a love that transforms you. This is a love that changes you. This is a love that compels you. This is a love that allows you to live from a place of freedom instead of living for freedom. And it seems so simple. It seems too easy. But that is the beauty of the gospel, and this is why Paul fights so hard. It's why he's so passionate. He's like, don't overcomplicate this. I know life is difficult. I know that your experiences have tainted this idea of simplicity within the gospel. I know that you've experienced these things all over again, and every single day you need to renew your mind in it. But love looks different. Love liberates. Love sets us free. And I'm simply appealing you to you this morning to pause, to stop, to wait and say, Jesus, I need you. Without you, I'm going to go back to this idea of living with complete license to do whatever I wanted or back to this idea of legalism where I'm constantly striving to receive the love that you've given so freely. That these are the things that I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with doing what I want to get what I want and I'm familiar with following a system to somehow be accepted. That I don't, ex I don't understand this idea of this freely given gift that doesn't just come to me but goes through me. That it changes the way I perceive the world, I perceive others, the way that I, tr I approach hard situations, the way that I see people who are hurting around me. Faith is my foundation expressed through love and love liberates and suddenly my life is full of freedom. And freedom changes everything. And every day I got to learn freedom all over again. <laughs> and there's days where I don't understand it and I don't get it and I don't live out of it right. But every single time when I turn back, that freedom is still there. I think our understanding of who God is really makes freedom a difficult question at times. I think we're so used to 
uh, almost like an abusive relationship with God. That we're so used to the idea of God will only accept me if I do this. Or people will only accept me if I do this. Or the church will only accept me if I do this. Or God doesn't really care about my story because a good God couldn't pay attention to me. Freedom transforms when we understand where the freedom comes from. It's not just freedom for the sake of freedom. It's not freedom in just the way that you understand it or love in the way that you understand it, or grace in the way that you understand it. It's freedom, and it's love, and it's grace, and it's hope through the lens of Jesus. And only when we see that do we truly become changed. That we really draw closer to him. Hear me when I say it's not about right and wrong. It's not about having your life right or when you have moments when it's wrong, it's about Jesus saying, just come to me and make mistakes along the way. But at every step, I want you to just keep your eyes fixed on me. Because when you have your eyes fixed on me, freedom is possible. And it changes everything. And I wish it was like this easy system in which you could receive all these things. But we've got so many barriers that make the idea of love and freedom and hope really difficult to receive. I wish there was like this little compartment in our knee that we could just like pull out and pour love into and then pop it back in and it's really simple. It'd be really nice that way. But the acceptance of love is not just this singular moment where suddenly you say, yeah, that makes sense. It's this ongoing decision to say, I receive love and I show love. I receive grace and I show grace and I live in freedom, and I live from freedom. Would you bow your heads with me? When we live in freedom, we come to accept that we aren't perfect, but we are enough. And beyond the little buzz in the speaker, I do sense the presence of God. <laughs> and, it, and it's this in, invitation that he's extending to each and every one of us, wherever we sit on our journey of faith, to just come back to him and see him at his most honest and pure space. And he's saying, just come to me and get to know me. Get to know who I am and watch what happens. So Jesus, for every person that's here this morning, wherever we find ourselves on our journey of faith, I pray that you meet us. For those of us that have felt like we've fallen away from the idea of Jesus being in our story, I just pray that you would just make yourself so evident and so clear to us that you care to be in it and that you really never left, that you were always present and available. I pray that hearts are open and ready to, to grab hold of you this morning. For anyone here that, that's here this morning that doesn't know this idea of 
Jesus, an idea of grace, an idea of relationship with, with, a, with a God that pours out unconditional forgiveness. I pray that there is a revelation of that love that so, so shifts everything on the inside of them. And for those of us this morning that are carrying moments of familiarity to experience our present relationship with God, instead of actually moving from the normal to the new, I pray that the new doesn't scare us and doesn't doesn't push us away and we don't just revert back to old tendencies to experience grace, but we look directly to you and we say, show us something new. Lead us into new beginnings, into fresh waters that restores our soul that draws us closer to you, Jesus. We want to look like you. We want to know, know you. We want to live like you. Let faith be our foundation. Let love be our expression. And let freedom be our place that we live from. Thank you for the simplicity of it. Help us to keep it simple. We need you. I'd like to pray this morning for anybody who's, you feel like you're struggling with old habits and addictions, and that's been like your go-to place of familiarity. Uh, habit and addiction can be something that feels so massive, and we can only, we sometimes place it on a single category that is constantly talked about, but it, it could be the smallest of things that we find to be a comfort zone, but we know is unhealthy, unhealthy in our life a place of familiarity that's preventing us from moving forward into the new idea of freedom. I pray that there is just a releasing from that and just an openness to talk about it, to bring it to you. For those of us this morning that struggle with the idea of love, that you've never seen love modeled well in your life, that you don't know how love could be shown to you as if you're undeserving. This is not love as you know it. This is love that's unconditional. You, you didn't deserve it. You can't deserve it. You can't earn it. But it is given to you so freely. And for those of us this morning that find comfort in being a slave to different things in our life. I pray that that is no longer the bondage from which we live, but it just becomes a story of the testimony of what freedom does in our life. So we look to you, Jesus, and we give all these things to you. May we be open for something special. We love you so desperately. In your name we pray. Amen.